All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming out again tonight. I appreciate you being here. Uh, as you can see, tonight we're going to talk about psychology and worldviews. And let us get started with a word of prayer. Blessed Father, Lord, we do just come before you, thanking you, blessing you, and praising you for who you are and your Son, Jesus Christ, and the, the Spirit of God who dwells in us. Uh, Lord, may we grow in wisdom and understanding. Uh, Lord, may we just gain these truths that you have before us and how you have purpose and design for us and for our world and for our communities. And Lord, may we look for those bridges of opportunities with those who don't think like we think, don't do what we do. Um, Lord, that this don't consider your holiness, but Lord, may we look for those opportunities to have conversations with grace and truth and mercy. And Lord, may we always remember that um, they're not our enemies. Lord, there are people that have been taken captive by empty and hollow philosophies. But, Lord, there is one who is the enemy. He's the father of lies. And I pray that you'd bind him away from here tonight, uh, from the families represented here, Lord, that uh, we would stand firm in who you are, Lord Jesus, and we would do so with love, mercy, and grace. And it's in your beautiful and matchless name we ask these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. So hopefully everybody's picked up uh, some paper with the notes on it. And like I said, we'll break into this psychology and worldviews. You know, I had, how many had psychology when you were in school, right? I, I had one class of psychology, and I was as lost as anybody came, right? At, at that time of my life, I mean, I was as pagan as the world could turn out. And I'm going through this psychology class, and I'm like, there's no way there's any validity to any of this stuff. And, you know, so even as a lost person, I recognize this, the hokiness of some of this stuff. And if you're a psychologist, I'm not saying that you're hokey or anything, um, right? We, uh, never mind. Maybe that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and so we're just, we're just going to move on. But uh, anyway, let's go, right? Psychology is the study of the soul. It is the study of the soul, right? It answers questions like, who are we? What are we? How do we develop as humans? And again, I was just looking at this yesterday and kind of getting ready for this again. And this, it, I look at these questions and this man, they're questions that deal with identity. They deal with humanity and what it means to be human. And literally, there was weeks ago when we first started this out, and that second part is, is probably the question of the age. What does it mean to be human? Right? Because we've just redefined so many things and we brought in so many different new words and ideas that we don't even know what it means to be human outside of the biblical worldview. And some of that we're going to delve into tonight, and we're certainly going to delve into the ideas of identity a little bit more than what I've done in the past. Um, so anyway, but these are the questions psychology deals with, not only psychology, but they certainly do, and they deal with identity and what it means to be human. And so we see psychology's main interest is mental health. Its main interest is mental health. And again, I was just listening to Elisa Childers, and she, she had this quote, and it just fit in well, and it says, the more disconnected we get from truth, the more health issues society will experience. You know, and I just, I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. The more disconnected we get from truth, the more mental health issues society will experience. And you can't escape that. You cannot escape that because we go back to Genesis chapter 1, right? 
God created everything with purpose and design. And you could take that word truth and you could insert purpose and design in there. He created everything to work according to His purpose and His design. And as long as we are pursuing that, obviously we don't do that perfectly. We know that. We get that because we're sinners. But if we're pursuing God's purpose and design, man, things are going to go better for us, for our families, for our society, for our culture, for our world. But the further we get away from God's purpose and design, the more issues we have, the more mental health issues we have. And man, if you follow this at all, and you can get this on cdc.gov, man, we are literally in a mental health crisis in our society. That's not hyperbole, right? That is reality, that we are in a mental health crisis within our culture. And it's not just America. I mean, it would be easy and we could, we could say that, man, it's worldwide, a mental health crisis. So we keep moving away from God's purpose and design. We can keep expecting problems to come. So Christianity and Islam, they both acknowledge the existence of the soul. They both acknowledge the existence of the soul. Secularism, Marxism, postmodernism, they reject that idea of the soul. Okay? The soul can be defined as the immaterial part of our being where the core of one's personal identity is found. Biblically, the soul is that part of every human being that lasts eternally after the body experiences death. Right? We're not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. And that lasts eternally at the point of death. The soul does. And the soul is central to the personhood of a human being. We need to remember that as we progress through the night, the soul is the central to the personhood of a human being. It's important that we remember that. So now we're going to look at secularism and psychology. And this is why we need to remember the soul, right? Secularism, Marxism, postmodernism, they substitute self for soul. They substitute self for soul. And as soon as you begin to substitute a new word, a new idea, you begin to define it the way you want to define it. And it will be defined from whatever your worldview is. Your worldview will determine the bent of your definition of any given word. And we define it in accordance with the way that will help us achieve what our worldview is striving for. Okay? So now we move from soul to self, and we begin to redefine that whole, that whole concept. Not just the word, but the concept that's tied to that. All right? And then there's this psychologized self. It's at the core of today's identity politics. The psychologized self is at the core of today's identity politics, right? Carl Truman would call this uh, expressive individualism, right? He wrote this book here, and this is a great one. Um, It's called A Strange New World, and he's dealing with this whole expressive individual, and he deals with a lot of these things here. He's got another book, which is just a monster. It's like 600 pages. This is The Rise Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I would encourage you to read this one. Um, it's two or 300 pages, and, and the other one is just a beast. Um, but that's a great one that deals with that whole idea. And so, again, we got this like, 
right here, let me go to the next one then. It's right, the greatest form of oppression today is caused by psychological oppression. It's not physical oppression. It's not economic oppression. It's, it's, not, it's psychology. It's mental. It's emotional oppression. It's the greatest form of oppression according to this psychologized self that you find within secularism. Okay, and so it's when words, and again, it's just when oppression is categorized as psychological, the words become violence. So you, I don't know if you've heard that term, man, you've just committed violence against me. And it's like, I just, I was just talking about this. No, words are violence. In this realm, words, it's not a physical act. That, that you perform or do against somebody, just speaking something that's offensive to another individual, that's violence. The psychologized self. It's all about the feelings that you're being dealt with on that. And so when words become violence, freedom of speech must be controlled or eliminated. <clears throat> when words become violence, freedom of speech must be controlled or eliminated. And this is just a... a a site that you can go to that talks more about this psychologized self and identity politics. Um, this is a longer article on that. Um, so there's two assumptions that we have in psychology. First one is, is uh, the idea of a personal God is a myth. That's the first. The second is tied to it. Uh, we're purely physical beings who uh, develop through naturalistic processes. So those are two assumptions. And so here, when you jettison God from your worldview, you eliminate any possibility of making true sense of the world or offering, offering any viable, lasting solutions. When you jettison God from your worldview, you've jettisoned any hope for truth, any hope for truly following pur purpose and design. right? And it goes back to that Alyssa Childers quote that we started with. We keep moving further away from truth when we eliminate God from our worldview. Not that we've actually eliminated God. He's just not a part of what that is, right? And then there's three forces of psychology, right? You have behaviorism. Again, if you go back to your college days, you got B.F. Skinner. He's one that popularized this whole idea. Uh, it's not in great favor today. Uh, but it says he believed humans are stimulus receptors that will respond in predetermined ways uh, to their environment rather than personal choice, right? And that's the elimination of free, human free will. We're just mere animals that respond to stimuli against us, right? And that's all that we are. We, we don't make free will. We don't make free choices. We just respond to whatever the actions in the environment places upon us, and we'll respond to those animals or to those with those behaviors. And then you have cognitive behaviorism. It's a popular version of behaviorism today. It attempts to explain uh, behavior through neurological causes or brain functions. And again, I mean, these are real things that happen within your brain. It starts, in, you know, you, an idea comes in through your right side of your brain and it, it works through. And, you know, there used to be this idea, you know, your left brain people and your right brain people. And, and, and some people are just no brain people. But, you know, you work with what you got, right? And so it's, and again, you know, I've heard all these things. I don't know if any of it's true. You know, left-brain people are more creative or less emotional or whatever. You know, I don't know whether that's true or not. But all that's kind of that idea of this neurological being that takes place through your brain, right? And what we do know about this, and that's just like when we talk about, um, like, pornography, 
right? When you look at pornography, it literally cuts new grooves in your brain. Steve has talked about this in some sermons and stuff. It rewires your brain the more you look at pornography, right? And it affects everything on how you think. The good news is, is you can rewire your brain back the way it's meant to be. But if you keep putting junk into your brain, I keep putting junk into my brain through that neurological process, we're rewiring grooves that God never intended to be there. So there is some, there's validity to this. It's just our solutions aren't found there. Our solutions are not found there. The second one is psychoanalysis. It's popularized by Sigmund Freud. Again, there's not much that he came out with then that's popular today or even can, um, it's even held to today. But he believed our conscious behavior was determined or shaped by unconscious recollection of past experiences. So wait, there, no, your past affects what you do today is what he was saying. And again, there's some reality to that. Um, and you may or may, you may not know that. You know, my daughter's a counselor, and she said, Dad, I think you suffer. I mean, I've told you this, childhood emotional neglect. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And, you know, I don't have to know what it is to suffer from it. I get that. But it's these past experiences that affect things today. She says, I think you need a counselor. Well, I might need a counselor. Maybe I do. But I'm like, you know what? I just know where I started at with Christ, and I was a mess. And I'm less of a mess today. Right? I'm less of a mess today, and that's by the grace of God. That's just simply by the grace of God. You know what? I'll take his counseling. And it's free. It don't cost me nothing. Okay. So then you get self-actualization uh, popularized by Abraham Maslow. People, he says people are intrinsically good and can properly manage their behavior. And again, this is their worldview. Now, I know probably just about everybody in the room is running through Romans 3.23 right now. And then, right, you're going through these things. It's like, man, that's not what Scripture says. And that's exactly right. Scripture doesn't say that. But the secular worldview in psychology does. And so does the Marxist worldview. And so does the postmodern. Anyway, we'll get to that in just a second. So anyway, we're basically good people. Psychological illnesses are caused by physiology, social circumstances, psychological and emotional states and mental processes rather than spiritual. We have literally, we not have just separated the physical and the spiritual. We have eliminated the spiritual aspects of our being. We've eliminated that. Mental health can be restored when these factors are in proper balance. So all we got to do is bring all these things into the, the status quo, bring them into the right balance, and everything will be good in your life again. You'll be happy, right? Because that's the highest goal in our culture today is happiness. So sin's never the issue for people's problems because the spirit or soul does not exist. Remember when we started out, right? They've taken the soul and they've inserted, inserted self. So they've eliminated that idea of the soul. Um, Self-actualization is the point when a person meets his or her full psychological potential. And kind of the crazy thing is, is right, Maslow and, and, and other people that kind of even held to this self-actualization, they can't really point to anybody that has reached this. I mean, that, that's the issue. 
right? It's the same thing like when you're dealing with uh, New Age spirituality, uh, Buddhism. You know, who do you know that's reached nirvana? We don't really know anybody like that, right? And we don't know anybody, even in the secular world, that's reached their psychological potential. It's this idea that's out there. And if we just bring everything into balance, then we'll get there. We just don't know anybody that has. And just in case you're wondering, you haven't either, okay? We're all good. Let's see here. Uh, Self-actualization will lead to misinterpreted diagnosis and incomplete treatment. Incomplete diagnosis, because they're starting from the wrong point. Right? Abraham Maslow said, since this, since this inner nature is good or neutral rather than bad, it is best to bring it out and encourage it rather than suppress it. If it is permitted to guide our life, we grow healthy, fruitful, and happy. And again, this is his worldview that's directing this statement. Okay, it's, it's, it's not a psychological book. It's not all of the studies. It's not all the experiments that they do. This is a worldview that drives that statement. It's not a scientific fact. It's not the reality. It is speaking from a worldview. Remember, we, our worldview is how we interpret the data that is around us. So self-actualization is to focus on the self, yourself, myself, ourselves. It's all about the self. So what happens if we misdiagnose humanity's problems? All right? If humans are intrinsically good, all is well. But if we're intrinsically bad, in other words, we have a sin nature, but we focus on ourselves, then we've misdiagnosed a problem. You know, the interesting thing about that was, and again, you know, there's studies that, you know, what, what they show that prove those things. This idea, man, of going to church is beneficial to one's mental health and their well-being. It's beneficial to marriages. It's beneficial to families. It's, man, it's beneficial. And the studies show it, but we just don't see that being ushered into our society and our cultures. You know, everybody was talking about during the pandemic, oh, man, We've got to save grandma and grandpa, right? And we've got to do all of these things to shut this thing down. But, you know, one thing that really never came out, it was this idea, it was called the pandemic of despair, is, man, suicide rates went through the roof. Drug abuse, physical abuse at home was skyrocketing. Because the very actions that were being done were creating a more hostile environment to be in. Because one, we're not created to live in isolation. God didn't create us that way. He created us to live in community. And man, and when we get separated from that community, we are now out of sync with God's purpose and design. Right? And I joke around, I'm, a, I'm an island person. Right. I'm, I, I don't I don't feed off of the energy of other people. My wife does and she loves it. And, you know, she, she'll go to a party and she comes back and she's energized. And I'm like, God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but even us island people need community. Maybe a smaller community, but we still need community because God created us 
to be in community. And once you start to reverse that and to start bringing things on society that God never intended, it's going to be harmful. It's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You lose a whole lot. And well, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. I haven't I haven't looked into it a lot, but it's the, even with children that that were growing up through that, man, they found out that there's literally some speech impediments and some learning disabilities, because as I'm listening to Melissa talk, I'm just hearing I'm just not seeing the lips. And I'm losing those facial expressions. And in all of that where we think, wow, we're, we're doing this for the good of all, we never considered the harm that was coming from a bad idea. And that's not just, man, we can, we can sit here and pull up idea after idea that are bad ideas. That just seems to be the most recent one it's easy to talk about. And so it's important that we understand. Yeah, Al. Mm-hmm. And they said people, they followed the generation from the 70s and the people that had had better relationships and better relationships with people that were found to have uh, a church family mm-hmm. were people that were involved in the community and were mostly the people that were involved in church. Yeah. 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 And so there's the benefit. And again, there's, there's, they're out there. They're out there. It's just, why are we not utilizing them? Which that becomes another topic for another night in, in any way. And so anyway, so Marxism and this idea of, of psychology, right? They, they align their size with their ideas with classical conditioning, right? And that would become from Pavlov, uh, uh, Ivan Pavlov, who happened to be a Russian, right? So that's one reason why Marx liked that idea also, because it was generated within his nation. Um, and he, if you, again, you remember Pavlov's dogs, right? They feed them, they ring the bell. They ring the bell, they feed them. And then they ring the bell and they don't feed them, but the dog still salivates. He's not getting any food. It's that idea. So it's this conditioning that's taking place uh, with that, with, with these studies, this classical condition. Well, Marx liked that because he believed, man, we could turn around and condition the people to advance the communist cause. And so, I mean, you just, you think about that, what that means. I can manipulate my people to do what I want them to do in order to further my cause. You want to talk about dehumanization, that would be a poster child for it. That would be a poster child for dehumanization. Because that's going to be the reality that we see as we move from the idea of soul to self. Man, that is a dehumanizing slide that we have put humanity on. Yeah, Doug. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And and we're and the goal is is we get that. Hopefully we get that, right? But the reality is the rest of the world doesn't, and they're not going to until they get the proper lens. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them. Amen. Right? And that, right, that's why it's so important. And I'm, I'm, all right, thanks, Doug, for taking me off on this rabbit trail. But, but it's a good one to go down, though. It's a good one. Because until we see that importance, look, it's not just about eternality. It is, right? The gospel's never less than the eternality of one's soul. But man, it's always about God's placed us here today for this time and this moment to live out the life that he's created us for today. Not a hundred years from now, not a hundred years in the past. It's today is what he's called us to. And that's what we need to pray for faithfulness for. Man, God, make me faithful with what you put before me today. The world's lost. They have been taken captive. They don't know a lie from whatever else. They don't know. But we need to live it with kindness and justice and mercy and truth. Right? Okay, classical conditioning, we talked about that. Marx believed that uh, we did that. I guess I must have been pushing that button somewhere in there while I was going on my rabbit trail. Okay, so postmodernism and psychology. Postmodernism and psychology. Also rejects the idea of the human soul also rejects that idea, right? They believe in a de-centered self. And again, this is where this book, Strange New World by Carl Truman comes in. Uh, he goes into a lot of that. Um, but it's this idea, humans are social constructions without any singular essence, nature, or soul. In other words, society, the social constructs in society make you who you are. And a lot of that will depend on your experiences. Your experiences can be different from my experience. And so we're going we're gonna to look a little different. We're going to think a little different, but it's all okay. Right? It's all okay. Right? And so when we talk about decentering, it means that there's no single way to read an event or institution or a text. Right? interpretations from many individuals, or there can be many different. Again, we may all see the same event. We may all experience the same thing, but we're going to interpret it differently. And that's okay. And it's all true. It's all good. Even though if it's in conflict with one another, right? My experience says it's okay that I steal your car. Is that good? <laughs> Not for you. It's not. So the reality of it is, is when you deal with decentering, there is no objective truth. There's your truth and there's my truth. And if we're talking your truth and my truth, we're not talking truth at all. We're certainly not talking the truth. And so it's just, again, we, we, I guess we have to move away from the credulity of thinking, wow, you can believe something exactly opposite of what I believe. And yet it's, it's, it's all true. And we need to move beyond the incredulity of that and be able to ask questions. Well, really, what happens when? And let's try to bring some reality into the situation. Again, you've heard me say this several times. Is man, reality is brutal to a false idea. It is a stone wall to anti-realism. And postmodernism is anti-realism. Trinae? Um, 
Yeah, that's dialectical materialism is what that is. Um, and again, that's that idea where just what, just what Trené was saying is you've, you've, got a, you've got an idea here and you've got an idea that opposes it and you have this clash and out of that clash, right, you get a new idea, but it's all evolving. And under Marxism, it always gets better, but you have to have the rebellion. You have to have the clash of ideas for that to take place. And again, that's why Marx was wanting to create, well, maybe I can just manipulate my people to further that cause. Um, so that dialectical materialism is what that is. So anyway, but with postmodernism, this decenter self, there is no objective truth in any given situation. It's all subjective. And you may have, uh, you may have many selves. You can be they, them, us, those, right? You can be child selves. You can be, you know, professional selves. Friend. I mean, you can be all of these different selves and it's all okay. And so this would be an example. I was, I, again, it's, it's, it's probably an older story, but it was just refreshed uh, and when I was getting ready for this. Man, there's this man. He's a man, married. He's 56 years old. He has like three or four children. He's 56. And he decides he no longer wants to be that, but he wants to be a six-year-old girl. Leaves his wife, leaves his kids. They're interviewing him, and he's in a little girl's dress. And he's saying, I just didn't want to be an adult anymore. I want a kid yeah, yeah, just go ahead and do it, and I'll be your kid then, Al. You can, I'll be your kid. And so, so you, you, it's like I can be whoever I want to be. And it's just crazy that we often choose to be those that have no responsibilities. I'm sure that's an accident. It's a strange coincidence that happens. But you're just, and it's the sadness of that. The destruction of a soul, but of that of a family. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, and, and again, you know, the talk with it, I wasn't talking with it again, I'm just listening to the interview, and it's, it's like Doug and I were just talking over coffee. It was just normal and natural for this guy to think that that's okay. Humor well, you know, humor's not the issue. I mean, he needs, he needs help. I mean, that's literally what, well, because what happens is the society will affirm that. Society, yeah, absolutely. We, yep, sure, yep, and so we. Oh yeah, I'm, but we but that's that's where we can't affirm a lie. Yeah. I mean, to turn around and just to think, well, it's more loving to affirm somebody in that, and and that's what people would say. Well, I, I it's just more loving. And I said, well, then you're being more loving than than God could be, is what you're telling me.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't affirm a lie. Uh, Descendering. Okay, we got that. Um, so, out of the dissenter itself, we get this gender identity confusion or gender dysphoria. Out of this dissenter itself, and again, you know, we talk postmodernism is. It's not new. Hang on a second, Jeff. It's not new. Right? It's just gaining traction now. And has, I say now, literally, it has been for 30 years. Jeff? I just wonder why we're letting the language be corrupted with this. Biologically, there's only two genders. Well, there is, but. But the thing is, you can identify as anything you want. That's not your gender. Yeah, but here's the issue is who controls the language? Who controls the language? And so uh, here's who controls the language. The media controls the language. Yep, it all comes back to money. Academia controls the language. And now we're into politics controls the language. And so the only thing that we can do is continue to speak truth with love and kindness and know that at some point in time it's going to cost us for speaking that truth. You know, so when we talk about a biblical worldview, man, we need to spend time. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting another tangent here, right? And you're like, there's no way in your notes. Stay on your notes, Rick. Right? Is we need to talk about a theology of suffering. Man, that is something that is just oblivious to the Western church, a theology of suffering. Um, but I think now is probably a good time. Not, not now, now, but just the current, anyway. Right? Happiness is the greatest goal. Um, happiness is the ultimate goal. Right? And this is, uh, this is not in your notes here because I, I just wrote it down before I came here. But it's feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. God is the ultimate guess. But if happiness is the ultimate goal and you hinder my happiness, you are creating great violence towards me. And, and that's the thought process. Vastly different than what the world says. Right? And we would, we would expect that, and, and that's in God's purpose and design. Right? I mean, the, the worst thing to happen in your life is not suffering. Right? The worst thing to happen in your life is that you never suffer that you just pursue hedonism, right? just unending pleasure, and it literally destroys the very soul of the being. All right? people, people go through all kinds of suffering, and they're stronger for it, and they're stronger for it. You know, what we do with the suffering is what matters. Who do we turn to in those times of suffering? That's what matters. Uh, but the world would make you think, nobody, I should never have to suffer. And again, how they're defining suffering is vastly different than what we would. And the reality of it is, as we see this, man, there's people that seek out churches for what, well, what is the church going to do for me? What is the church going to do for me? What kind of programs does it have for my kids? You know, do they have great this or great that? And then it's like, oh, is the music good? 
I mean, you know, that's not anything I say. I mean, it's good, but it's not, are they preaching truth? And how can I serve there and how can I worship there? Right? And it's that thinking where we go church shopping is a secular idea. That is a worldly idea that creeps in because I want the church to make me happy. I want it to meet all of my needs. And if it doesn't, I'll take my family someplace else. Even shopping in the churches. I, we had moved years ago and we were out in <clears throat> Oklahoma. And, you know, when you come to Bellevue, it ruins you for, for other, when you got to go find another church. But, um, and we just struggled. And man, and our son was in the clown ministry. He loved it. And so we found this church that had a clown ministry. So, well, we'll go visit this church. And man, we were sitting in this one class. And it was progressive Christianity before we even knew what progressive Christianity was. And the teacher said something, so I asked him a couple questions, and we went down this road, and he says, well, I just don't think like that. I said, well, I understand that, but that's just what God's Word says. Now, you can, I didn't make many friends that day. I didn't make many friends. And so my wife and I, we, we got up and, and we were leaving. She goes, well, do you want to go to church? No, I've heard enough. No, I've heard enough. You know, so we, we don't want to pick a church for its clown ministry or, or whatever else ministries. As, as good as they may be, we don't want to pick that. We want to pick it for biblical truth. Does it lead me to worship the God of all creation? Does it offer me opportunities to serve in the body of Christ, not what the body of Christ will serve me? But, like you said, if we don't think it's not creeping into the church, I mean, we are deluded. We are deluded. It's Yeah, always. Again, from the day of Pentecost. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it just goes and goes and goes. But we can't think, oh, not here. No, yes, here. No, yes, here. Okay. Um, so problems with multiple cells. It seems like it's been a while since. We, there's a couple rabbit trails in there. I apologize for that. Um, the problem with multiple cells is that it absolves people of responsibility for their judgments and actions. Right? Again, I... I it's just too easy not to pick on some of these things. And I'm not picking on them. I'm just choosing them because they're so current, right? Up in Chicago, right, you had these hundreds of youths that were just running wild through the city. I mean, they were just tormenting and stealing and just shooting and all this other stuff. And it's like the, the new mayor says, no, nope, that kind of activity is wrong, but these youth just need a space to, to operate in. Those were his words. And I'm like, no, they need to be in jail. Their parents need to be, I mean, we can go through all of these things, but and again, it's, this is a leader that's making and saying they just need some safe space to operate in. Absolves them of personal responsibility. However we choose to define ourselves is okay, no matter how deviant. Again, just preparing for this and those of us that are older probably remember what I'm getting ready to go through. But I remember it from a psychological perspective, man, homosexuality was a, a deviant behavior. Right? And then time goes on, 
and then it becomes a disease. Not like cancer, but more of a mental type of disease. And then it just becomes, well, it's just a lifestyle choice. Right? You remember? And then it's just, we got to celebrate it. We've got to affirm it. And, that's, and so you see this idea. Huh? Yeah, now it's a civil right. Yeah, absolutely. It's a civil right issue. And so but there's this progression. But you know what? Sin works that way. We see that scripturally, right? We see that in, in Solomon's life. We see that in David's life. We see that in Abraham's life. Sin works like that. Trinae. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you again, so you see that with with homosexuality, you see that with adultery, you see that with with every, every sin is going to progress like that. Again, you just don't wake up one day and oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. It's a progress. Yeah, Doug. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Yep. It's effective. It's a, it's a good game plan. I mean, let's let's just be honest. It's a good game plan. And why change it? It works so well. It works so well. Do we know it? Multiple cells blurs the line between normal and abnormal. Social order begins to break down because there are no norms. And I didn't put this in here, but the reality of it is not only does it blur the lines between normal and abnormal, eventually what it's going to do is going to call good bad and evil good. And that's where we're at today. Yeah. Say that one more time. I have, I, I have not, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Okay. <laughs> Talk after class. Thanks. Okay. Islam, right? Islam, uh, Islamic psychology believes submission is the key to psychological health, right? It, all people are born with the true faith of Islam without the sin of fitra. All of us were born Islamic. That, I'm, that's what this is saying. All of us were born Islamic. We are just in complete rebellion against Allah. And that's, again, that's just, just it's, a, it's an Islamic belief. And so fitra is the belief that all people are hardwired towards submitting to Allah and acting morally. And so again, you get that. Again, there's some aspects of Islamic culture that psychologically we would, we would agree with, and there's obviously this that we would not. Um, but that's, that's the extent of that. Now we get into Christianity, right? We get into the, the worldview that, that we all want to have and live with each, each day. Christian psychology, Christian psychology begins with personhood, right? God is a person, and all humanity has been created in His image. All humanity. Christianity believes each person has a soul, and the soul is where the image of God 
resides. Right? The Bible supports the idea of the soul. Right? The New Testament often uses soul and spirit interchangeably. And so there's certainly some debate, you know, in the theological realms. Are they one and the same? Are they different? How do they work? You know what? That's open for discussion. Again, sometimes they're used separately as they, and we're going to see that here. But some, again, they're, they're also used interchangeably as one and the same. Uh, Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 42, The soul longs to know God as a deer longs for the streams of the water, so my soul longs for God. Mark 12.30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Mark 8.36, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Our sinful nature is the source for all of our psychological issues. Bottom line, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And if we don't get back to there, then whatever drug that you give, whatever... You know, you're not fixing anything. You may be putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Because until we get back to how God has designed us and how he has purposed us, you know what? You're just moving one person from, from one psychological issue to another. And again, you know, man, I've had some friends that have struggled with alcohol and, and drug addiction. And, you know, they, they just literally went from one addiction to another. And they just struggled to beat that. I mean, man, this friend, he, when he was all in, he was all in. Whether it was drugs, tattoos, or guns, he was all in. And he knew a lot about all of it. And I'm like, man, why don't you just, let's just be addicted to Jesus. Let's just do that. This is a struggle for him. Benefits of Christian psychology over other views. Helps free people from guilt by acknowledging guilt and its cause, right? Sin, rebellion against God. It allows us to properly deal with our problems and ultimately point people to the gospel. It enables personal responsibility. By accepting our role with the problem, it allows us to address the issues and formulate a plan to recovery and forgiveness. Focuses on health rather than avoiding illness. Right living is better than avoiding wrong behavior. All right. And this is just one of my favorite quotes is Eric McTaxis in, in his book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. He said, you know, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Man, I just love that. Man, if we're just going through life as a follower of Christ and we're just fearful, I'm going to commit this sin and I'm going to commit that sin and I don't want to, you know, and you're just building this bunker around you, man, that is not the abundant Christian life. The abundant Christian life is courageously and actively doing God's will come what may. That's the courageous life. That's the abundant life. 
I'm sorry, say that. Oh, Andy, St Charles Stanley, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you got you got to love that, right? Uh, this is somebody was teaching. I guess this was during the missions conference. I can't remember. It was one of the missionaries from the sub-Sahara region, and I guess he was using the uh, um, the two kingdoms. It's called the two kingdoms for sharing the gospel. And uh, so I thought, oh, I've just never heard that before. So I've researched it and I've looked at it, and and I'm just fascinated by the idea. And so my wife is watching it with me, and she goes, you know, that's, it's still the same question. Who are you going to let run your life? Is it going to be God, or is it going to be yourself? And if it's yourself, it goes back to that question, how's that working for you? Right? Because I think we could all tell stories about when I tried to run my life, and it, it never ends well. It never ends well. You know, let God run that life. Because that's the life that he gave you. So if you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one. Questions, problems, concerns? All right. I think next week is sociology. That one's also an eye-opener. Um, let me pray for us, and we'll call it a night. Blessed Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the cure uh, for our problem of sin. And it's through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection that, Lord, we, we find that healing. We find that cure. Uh, Lord, it's not temporary, but it's eternal. But it's abundance of life on this earth. And so we just bless you and praise you because, Lord, there's we know in the depths of our being that every one of us deserves that eternal punishment in hell. But because of your love and your mercy and your grace, you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. We thank you. We bless you and praise you, Lord Jesus. I just pray, O oh Lord, that we would fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, that we would know that you are for us and not against us. We love you. We bless you and praise you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we ask these things. Amen.